WXLE Indian Lake, WXLQ, Bristol, Vermont, WNYV, Whitehall, Glens Falls. It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for Tuesday, January 2nd. I'm Monica Sandresky. And I'm Todd Moe. It's been almost a decade since New York banned hydrofracking. Now environmentalists say a company called Southern Tier Solutions is trying to exploit a loophole in the ban. It sounds so good. It sounds like it's going to help uh, climate change. It sounds like it's going to be clean energy, but it's simply not true. Also, a SUNY Canton student is creating a pronunciation guide for Mohawk names. Sego Jawanduni Ungets Iine Hunashoni. Hi, I'm Jawanduni. It means she brings a new day, and I'm a person of the longhouse. The goal is to make campus more inclusive. More on the project coming up. And we continue to listen back to our holiday series from a few years ago, Breadtime Stories, with a tale from William Matson, who grew up in Norwood in St. Lawrence County. He shares the story of three generations of bread bakers. There in her small galley kitchen, my mother continued to bake an abundance of bread, not just for herself, but for others. All of that and more is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Long Run Wealth, an SEC-registered investment advisor in Lake Placid, providing comprehensive wealth management, retirement, and financial planning solutions, longrunwealth.com. And by Fisher, Bissett, Muldowney, and McArdle, attorneys and counselors at law with offices in Malone, Tupper Lake, and Saranac Lake, 800-941-5001. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandresky. And I'm Todd Moe. In an effort to address New York's housing crisis, the state is putting $46 million towards helping lower-income families repair, replace, and buy their first homes. The North Country is receiving one of the largest pots of money, about $8 million. Essex County is getting $1.2 million to replace old mobile and manufactured homes. Jefferson, Lewis, St. Lawrence, and Washington counties are receiving a combined $3.2 million for owner-occupied housing rehabilitation. Smaller amounts were awarded for accessibility modifications for veterans and the disabled and emergency repairs for the elderly like roof replacements and new wastewater systems. The grants will be made through state and federal home programs. The Henderson Town Board has approved a large development on Hovey Island on Lake Ontario. The multi-million dollar project will build over 100 seasonal cottages on the island. The builder, Sun Communities, already owns a nearby RV park. The Watertown Daily Times reports that town officials said the cottages will be good for the local tax roll. Residents raised concerns about increased traffic on the road to Hovey Island. Our names can tell us a lot about who we are and where we come from. For Mohawk people, they can also symbolize who you may become in the future. So when people mispronounce a Mohawk name, it can hurt. A student at SUNY Canton wants to prevent that experience for current and future Mohawk students. Catherine Wheeler reports. Jawanduni George is going to introduce herself. 
Sego Joandoni Ungets Iine Hunashoni. Hi, I'm Joandoni. It means she brings a new day, and I'm a person of the Longhouse. That's a place and symbol of political, spiritual, and cultural tradition in Aquasasne. When Jawanduni is spelled out in English, the pronunciation wouldn't come easily to a non-Mohawk speaker. George says that's been a challenge in classrooms throughout her education. Right now, she's studying graphic design, but might change that to environmental biology. George says things started to change on her first day of class with SUNY Canton sociology professor Daniel McLean. McLean walked up to George and told her he was struggling to pronounce her name. She's used to that, even in her third year of college. But then he told her it was unfair to her and other students. I felt so seen in that moment. I feel like a lot of people just want a simplified version. Like, I usually go by my middle name if people don't want to, like, say my first name. But George says she's not doing that anymore. And she doesn't want other students who are Mohawk too either. With help from McLean, George is creating guides on how to pronounce Mohawk names. McLean says these resources would be available for professors or anyone on campus. If I'm a faculty member and it's the first day of classes and I see that I have a Native student on my roster, I want to be able to go on our website and take a look at short videos with a couple of punchy lessons. One video would provide some basic Mohawk language lessons. George says some Mohawk and English syllables sound similar, and that can make it easier on non-Mohawk speakers to pick up the pronunciation. She says the first four letters of her name, T-S-I-A, make the sound jaw in English. And some letters have interchanging sounds between Mohawk and English. K's are G's, R's are L's, kind of that thing. George says another video will explain the significance of Mohawk names. She says every Mohawk name is one of a kind. Clan mothers create the names before a child's birth. It's spiritual. They get a sense of who's watching over the child and who they'll grow into. It's just so much more of a reason for people to really put their best foot forward into like learning this name because it is so like deep within that person and in deep within our history because it means more than just like that person. George admits she's not an expert, so she's getting help with the specifics of the language, history, and cultural meanings from an elder. This project could have far-reaching impacts for how Mohawk students feel at SUNY Canton. 2% of the student body is Native American, a majority of those from Aquasasne. George says Aquasasne is an extremely family-oriented community, and they see themselves as a giant family. So leaving for college can be hard on young adults. Some people have come up to me and have had troubles with this aspect and we're seeing the counseling office because of it so i think that's another reason this is very important to give that sense of home that sense of people are there for you even when you're not with your own people mclean says this project alone won't make the transition for mohawk students easier let alone right the wrongs of colonization and racism towards indigenous communities but it can make Indigenous students feel more respected in their learning environment, and it can shift the burden of education off of the Mohawk students. That's the reality of of human experience. There's not going to be a checklist of how to do the right thing, but the right thing is working on something, and is this collaborative process that I think is the right thing. George says working on the Mohawk Name Project has also helped her sort out her own complicated feelings about her name. She says her family members and other indigenous people have concealed parts of their identity, like their name, to protect themselves from generational trauma and racism. Me and my people have been called 
many names um, in our lifetime, but not a lot of try being called our actual names. And so I think it's very, sorry, I don't mean to be so emotional about it, but um, it's happened through all my life, and it's a big struggle that I still have. George says she's more confident in her identity since starting the project. She says she's living up to her name, bringing a new day for her fellow Mohawks. Catherine Wheeler, North Country Public Radio in Canton. Listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. It's nine minutes past eight. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Just ahead, the story of three generations of bread bakers in a small North Country village. That's coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. by Alan Dunham in South Glens Falls. Northern Light is supported by Adirondack Foundation, making grants to nonprofits that address community issues of child care, attainable housing, career pathways, basic needs, and more. Adirondackfoundation.org. The weather service says a mix of sun and clouds today. Sunshine in the southern Adirondack, Champlain Valley, Glens Falls, Lake George. Partly to mostly cloudy elsewhere. Winds out of the south-southwest. Highs today in the 30s. It's been almost a decade since New York State banned fracking, drilling for natural gas, mostly in the southern tier. Now, environmentalists say a company called Southern Tier Solutions is trying to exploit a loophole in the ban. WSKG's Phoebe Taylor-Volo reports. A few months ago, thousands of landowners in Broome, Tioga, and Chemung counties started receiving letters from Southern Tier Solutions. In the letters, the company says it wants to tap into underground shale gas resources in the region, using the gas as fuel to generate carbon-free electricity. The letters encourage residents to lease their land for drilling if they own over 30 acres. In 2015, New York officially banned hydraulic fracking, a method of extracting natural gas and oil from rock formations deep in the earth. But the state's ban only applies to fracking with over 300,000 gallons of water, and it only applies to water fracking. This project would use carbon dioxide as the drilling agent. Here's Walter Hang, president of Toxics Targeting, an Ithaca-based environmental advocacy and research group. You can pressurize nitrogen, propane, which is liquid petroleum gas, carbon dioxide. Natural gas is a gas. You can pressurize it, and it becomes a liquid, right? So you can frack with any of those liquids. They usually use water. 
because the other gases are hard to deal with and transport and are expensive, blah, blah, blah. But the problem is we've prohibited hydrofracking in New York. Now they need an alternative. Hang and other environmental advocates are calling on New York Governor Kathy Hochul to ban all types of fracking and close what they say is a dangerous loophole in the ban. The state banned fracking eight years ago because of concerns the process may cause earthquakes, pollute habitats, and contaminate drinking water. Hang says Southern Tier Solutions is framing CO2 drilling as a clean version of gas extraction. It sounds so good. It sounds like it's going to help climate change. It sounds like it's going to be clean energy, but it's simply not true. This is fracking with carbon dioxide. It doesn't avoid the fundamental problems of all forms of high-volume hydraulic fracking. Bryce Phillips is president of Southern Tier Solutions. He's been traveling around the region doing town hall-style meetings to talk to residents. Phillips argues the project is nothing like hydraulic fracking. He says it's actually a way of getting waste carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere by storing it underground, a process called carbon sequestration. It's like having two cars in a one-car garage. You've got to get the one car out before you can put the other car in. And and that's really, you're swapping uh, carbon dioxide, basically a waste product for uh, a product, methane, which is CH4, Uh, for the conversion to power. Phillips says projects like his are the only way the state will meet its future carbon emissions goals. He also argues that hydraulic fracking is more destructive than drilling with CO2. For example, Phillips argues the pores of the shale absorb carbon dioxide much better than water, requiring less intense pressure. But environmental advocates across the state have pushed back hard against the company's proposal. Ninety environmental groups held a press conference and signed a petition, demanding Hochul ban all kinds of fracking. Dr. Sandra Steingraber is the co-founder of Concerned Health Professionals of New York, a group of scientists and activists who have organized against fracking. We document the toxic pollution that accompanies shale gas drilling in dozens and dozens of studies in our compendium. These findings still apply, whether the agent of fracking is water, liquefied CO2, or Kool-Aid. In November, after receiving questions from constituents, Assemblywoman Donna Lopardo and State Senator Leah Webb reached out to New York's Department of Conservation for more information about Southern Tier Solutions. In response, DEC Commissioner Basil Sagos said the department was unfamiliar with using CO2 in natural gas extraction, though it is used in oil recovery projects in other states. Sagos says the DEC has yet to receive any permit applications from Southern Tier Solutions for the project. In Vestal, I'm Phoebe Taylor-Vuolo for North Country Public Radio. State has recommended several dozen places be added to the state and national registers of, of historic places. Two of them are in the North Country. One is the Wadhams Grange Hall in Westport, which was built in 1830 and is the former home of Wadhams Number 1015, the local chapter of the National Grange. The second recommendation is for the Malone Residential Historic District. It boasts buildings from many historic American architectural trends 
and physically represents the development of Malone over a 120-year period. Being added to the historic registers will make both places eligible for history programs, tax credits, and incentives. And construction has started on the Chippewa Bay Boat Launch in Hammond on the St. Lawrence River. That boat launch is the only point of access to the river in the area for emergency services. But changing water levels and extreme weather like 2019's flooding on the St. Lawrence have damaged it. Improvements will include a new launch, floating docks, shoreline protection, and an elevated parking area. The cost of the project, about a half a million dollars, is being paid for through a state resiliency initiative for Lake Ontario and the St. Lawrence. Listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandresky. In just a minute, a Washington, D.C. man remembers his bread baking roots in the North Country. That's in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note. We'll visit a hummingbird hospital in a Mexico City apartment. That's just ahead at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. Sunny in the Champlain Valley and Glens Falls, Lake George areas, uh, with highs in the upper 30s, light winds out of the south-southwest. Elsewhere, the Weather Service says partly cloudy, highs low to mid-30s, light winds out of the southwest, cloudy tonight and again tomorrow as well. Maybe some snow showers on Thursday and Friday, partly to mostly sunny with highs this week, pretty much in the upper 20s, low 30s for much of the region. The extended forecast for the weekend, clouds Saturday and Sunday with highs, upper 20s, low 30s. Right now, cloudy 28 here in Canton. We're continuing our holiday series, Bread Time Stories, from a few years ago with a tale from William Matson, who grew up in Norwood in St. Lawrence County. He shares the story of three generations of bread bakers. His grandmother and mother were well known in the community for baking bread for family and neighbors during hard times. Matson's grandmother, Alta Morgan, lived between Norwood and Norfolk in a farmhouse built by her husband, Edson Morgan. There, they raised nine children, and during the Great Depression, Alta's freshly baked bread provided food and income for the family. William's mother, Ethel Morgan Matson, remembers her mother rising at 3 a.m. each day to start the wood-fired stove to bake bread, donuts, and cookies for some of the local stores. He says it's no surprise that his mother learned to love baking bread, and so did he. My name is William Matson. I grew up in the North Country, but have lived for the last 40-plus years in Washington, D.C. My sisters and I grew up with bread baked fresh every week. Looking back, I'm amazed at how we simply took it for granted. When my parents became empty nesters... They moved from their Prospect Street home in Norwood to their cottage on Norwood Lake. There, in her small galley kitchen, my mother continued to bake an abundance of bread, not just for herself, but for others. 
she had multiple standing orders for weekly whole wheat and white bread. Folks knew which day they were to stop by the Lake Norwood cottage of Bill and Ethel Matson to pick up their bread. My mother would use some of her bread money to buy supplies for the Raggedy Ann and Andy dolls she was well known for crafting. And while none of us know precisely how much bread was simply given away, both my parents were quite generous in sharing what little they had. My mother knew she was dying. A few weeks before her death, she was able to form one simple question that she posed to my sister Mary Lou. Who will break the bread? She asked. No conversation followed. The question simply lingered. That question became part of her legacy. The answer, of course, is we will bake the bread. To that end, my four sisters and I all became bread bakers. After losing both our parents, we even fashioned a family cookbook with that title, Who Will Bake the Bread? The first recipe in the book? White homemade bread for everybody. The same recipe our mother used, the same recipe her mother used. And so down here in Washington, D.C., I bake bread. Following the lead of my mother, with every batch of bread I bake, at least one loaf is given away to a friend or neighbor. And for the last few years, I've baked the bread for our communion services at Mount Vernon Place United Methodist Church, just blocks away from our nation's capital. I confess to adding some of my own little twists to the basic recipe. My favorite? Tossing into the dough a handful of freshly chopped rosemary. The aroma and taste is exquisite. So, who will bake the bread? Thank you, Mom. Challenge accepted. William Matson's Bread Time Story from Norwood in St. Lawrence County is part of a series that aired a few winters back, and you'll find more of those bread baking stories on our website at ncpr.org. String Quartet with variations on Winter by Vivaldi.
Turtle Island String Quartet, variations on winter from uh, Vivaldi. That's from their album, By the Fireside. It's 826, and you are listening to North Country Public Radio and Northern Light on this Tuesday, January 2nd. There are events happening around our region this first week of the new year at the Woodland Gallery uh, in uh, North Creek at the Tannery Pond Community Center. You can uh, check out, continue to check out Mood Message Mischief. Uh, and actually, there's a reception coming up this Friday night from 5 to 7. Uh, Dan Predmore and Pat Frink work in very different media. Their work shares an often whimsical and playful view of the world. You're invited to the reception Friday night, 5 to 7, at Tannery Pond Community Center uh, for Mood uh, Message Mischief at the Woodland Gallery. And don't forget to head to the Tawny Center in Canton. Creative Alchemy Adirondack Fragrance and Flavor Farm Exhibit. This exhibition, as they say, invites you to immerse yourself in a world of natural fragrance while learning about the history of the Adirondack Fragrance Farm. You can find out more about that exhibit that's on display through the end of the month at uh, tawny.org. That's the Tawny Center in Canton for their exhibit, uh, exhibit, Creative Alchemy Adirondack Fragrance and Flavor Farm Exhibit. You can learn balance and relaxation and cardiac health at Tai Chi for Adults at the, uh, the Carthage Free Library every first Tuesday of the month from 2 to 3 this afternoon. It's free. No equipment or special clothes are required, so stop by the community room at the Carthage Free Library this afternoon from 2 to 3 for Tai Chi for adults. And it's time to hear the best of the best at our annual celebration of storytelling. The Howell Grand Slam is coming up this month. Every person who won at one of our regional story slams will take the stage at the Gulick Theater at St. Lawrence University. That's coming up Saturday, January 20th at 7 o'clock. Plan to join us for the big event, and don't wait. Seats are limited, and the event is likely to sell out. Grab your tickets today at ncpr.org slash Howell. That is for the Howell Grand Slam, the best of the best of our annual storytelling celebration. Find out more at ncpr.org slash Howell. That's it for the first Northern Light show of 2024. We did it. It's amazing. Morning Edition continues in just a couple of minutes. Then join us later this evening for Global Village, Village Science Fiction Day. It's their special. It's National Science Fiction Day in honor of the birthday of the prolific science uh, science and science fiction writer Isaac Asimov. And Global Village calls on some global artists for some of the out-of-this-world music for the occasion. We'll hear Foundation in honor of one of Asimov's most famous sci-fi series, The Imagined Village, Sheb Wooley, and the Planet Smashers. So much, ooh, and Sun Ra and his myth science orchestra. So much to enjoy coming up later this evening on Global Village between 8 and 9 o'clock, right here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. Thanks for listening. Be well.